0: The following is a message from our 10-week series, Hashtag Happy. For more, visit LinworthRoadChurch.com. Let's go from the Zac Brown Band to the popular Japanese author, Haruki Morikami. He said this, Unfortunately, the clock is ticking. The hours are going by. The past increases the future receipts. Possibilities decreasing, regrets mounting. I wonder this morning if that's your state of mind, if that's your view. Do you find that regrets are mounting? Do you find the past looming larger, your future growing smaller? This week's talk is called The Happy Future. And in contrast to this quote, the Bible has a different take on the intertwining of the past, your past, and your future. The Bible orients us towards the future, like a compass pointing north. The Christian faith gives us a way of relating to our past without getting stuck in it. You know, hope is a powerful thing. Hope keeps our mind at ease. It lowers stress. It improves physical health. Researchers studying heart disease patients found that optimists were more likely than non-optimists, this is kind of crazy, to take vitamins, to eat low-fat diets, and to exercise. And they did a study of cancer patients that revealed that pessimistic patients under the age of 60 were more likely to die within eight months than non-pessimistic or optimistic patients who have the same initial health, status, and age. This all according to an interesting Time article called The Optimism Bias. Now there was a second study of interest here done with 750 Vietnam War veterans. These men were held as POWs for six to eight years, sometimes tortured are kept in solitary confinement. But unlike many fellow veterans, they did not develop depression or PTSD after their release. And so this doctor, Dr. Dennis Charnay, wanted to find out what was their secret. And what he came up with after interviews was he found ten characteristics. The top characteristic was optimism. The second was altruism. And humor and having something to live for were also important. This is all from an article, again, with another interesting title, an article from The Atlantic called The Benefits of Optimism Are Real. So this morning, let me ask you, wouldn't you like to learn how to become future-oriented without succumbing to sentimentality or wish-based feelings? If you're a pessimist or you have mounting regrets, wouldn't you like to learn how to view your future differently? God can do this in your life. God can do this in your life, regardless of your past, regardless of your natural personality. For me, those of you that know me best know that I tilt toward being melancholy. And so I tend to view the world through a pessimistic lens. Secondly, I can get very easily stuck—I mean, really easily stuck—in the past, like I'm in a four-foot snowdrift, and um, I find myself having a difficult time letting go of regrets. And so I don't have this all figured out yet. And I, my invitation this morning too is come, come and learn along with me. To learn about a happy future. Will you stand up and let me introduce our scripture for today. I'm going to read it aloud. If you'd like, you can follow along on the, the Bible in front of you. Or if you brought your own. It's, uh, it's page 942. Romans 5 verses 1 through 5. Let me read this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, by Your Spirit, I pray for my friends this morning that You would open up our hearts to be able to hear You addressing us. You addressing our situation You addressing our need. You addressing our questions. Father, speak not only to our heads, but speak also to our hearts, to our whole being this morning. Give us faith. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a, a, a will to believe in You and what You've spoken. Through Christ, be glorified. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. So this passage begins by laying out the benefits of justification. There in verse 1. Justification is a legal term. And the author, in order to explain salvation, a Christ follower salvation, he borrows language from the courtroom. Legal language. You might call this justification the first base of a happy future. Since the Indians are going to the World Series, it would be appropriate today to have a little bit of a baseball metaphor working for us. Now, C.J. Mahaney explained justification this way. Justification happens when we apply Christ's sacrifice to our lives through faith. And number one, God declares us just before Him. That's the first point. We are declared righteous through justification. We are not guilty any longer. We no longer have to spin our wheels proving we are just or proving we are worthy. Secondly, justification describes our position, our legal standing before God, so to speak. Thirdly, Justification is objective. It is not so much explaining our personal experience as much as it is describing Christ's work for us. And fourthly, it is immediate and complete when you place your faith in Christ. You cannot add anything to it. Now to C.J. Mahaney, I would also add that it is irreversible. This is justification through Christ. This is how Paul explains the process where God places us into a right relationship with Him. And we see in the next verse that our part in this is to accept by faith what God has promised. That's our part, to receive By faith, what Christ has done. Paul uses this phrase to stand in his grace. That's our part. Now, membership has benefits. And justification also has plenty of benefits. Here's the first one. It gives us peace. We are no longer at war with God. Before coming to God through Christ, there was a barrier keeping you from his presence. A guilty conscience kept you from feeling happiness, feeling at ease in His presence. Loving Him with a free heart was impossible because you were too busy either trying to excuse or justify your sins. When we come to Christ, we literally rest in what He has done for us. Those same sins that we work so hard to resolve on our own, are forgiven us. After peace, the next benefit of justification is hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope and happiness are intertwined. Now this word glory is the Greek word doxa, and it means heaviness weightiness. R.C. Sproul says that glory has to do with intrinsic significance. The weightiness and dignity of God Himself. No one has to give it to Him. You see here that hope involves the future. It's pretty obvious. Hope involves what I look at as I think about my future. When you see your future when you look out over the horizon of your life, what do you see? And what role does your Heavenly Father play in that vision? Is your future vision largely about your success or serving Him? What is the end game of your vision? Is it wealth? Is it position? Is it significance to your peers? Is it A house in the right neighborhood? Is it your parents' approval? Those are goals, friends. Those are goals that will eventually shrink your future. On the other hand, as you look out on the horizon of your life, does your future expand like the universe is expanding? Because you find happiness in the anticipation of the glory of God. And eternity, seeing the unfolding glory of God, will be nothing short of spectacular. And eternity, seeing His character unfold, will never leave a dull moment. Soaring with excitement about the gospel of grace, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says, God will show His incomparable riches age upon age upon age. I uh, planted zinnias again this year, and that's a flower, by the way. How many of you plant zinnias? Okay, there are a few of you. They are by far my personal favorite flower. They grow pretty easily, which is good for me, and they create bushels of color. Now, zinnias, if you don't know them, they can have small blooms, or they can have larger blooms. But the really beautiful thing about them is the multiplicity of colors that they have. This year, I had smaller blooms, and I planted the seeds all very close together. And so they've been coming up and mixed together. The colors all shining forth. But the seeds have been blooming at different times. This confused me a little bit. I needed my wife to explain it to me. Because what would happen is I, I had these zinnias right next to my driveway. As I drive in, I notice that one week the oranges are dominating. And then next week, the reds are dominating. And the following week, it's the yellows. And I'm trying to figure out, well, what, what does all this mean? And uh, again, they're just blooming at different times. But they surprise me. And if I'm away for any length of time, I find myself thinking, well, I can't wait to just pull my driveway and see, see how the zinnias are doing, what color is coming up. In the same way, God will continually surprise and amaze us. By revealing his manifold glory and wisdom. His glory will unfold in a thousand ways. And we are invited to that party. And we are invited to help him to manage the universe in that age. I assure you, heaven will only be boring to those who prefer black and white TV. To those who prefer boring work are to those who prefer walking rather than high-speed space travel. If you like color, if you like meaningful work, if you like high-speed space travel, heaven's going to be very exciting for you. God's glory, this future glory, is our good. And we will be glorified. He will share His glory with us. Friends, I'm not stretching it to say to you there are many times... I just frankly hate myself. I get disgusted with my own nature, my bend towards seeing everything and people in relation to how it affects me. I get tired of fighting pride, I get tired of struggling with misplaced affections and misplaced priorities. I get tired, I see this proclivity in me as I get older to be more rigidly independent rather than dependent on others. I get tired of this body that makes sleep an unwanted adventure. There are times Jesus will sometimes give me a taste. He will give me a picture of perfect freedom. He'll give me this picture of perfect love, of true friendship. At least it seems that way in that moment. And I thirst for more of it. I long to be done with relational frictions and misunderstandings. In this day that we anticipate, God will glorify you and me, and our season of testing will be over. Amen? Amen. Christ's followers have this promise from Romans 8 that we will one day be glorified. So I give you this definition. What is Christian hope? Christian hope is the confident expectation of a God-centered future. Christian hope is the confident expectation of a God-centered future. I see a future filled with God, His love for me and my love for Him. I see a future guiding me, Him guiding me. I see a future where every circumstance is a part of His leadership in my life to fulfill His purposes in me, to fulfill His purposes through me. I see Him leading and refining and purifying His church and preparing us for eternity. I see him sovereignly guiding this nation. And so I refuse to bow to hysteria. And I refuse to bow to fear. This is a future that does not recede like bad hair. (laughs) But it's a future that enlarges. Again, hope is intertwined with happiness. So justification here in summary so far. It gives us peace. It gives us hope, and now, again, look at the next benefit here in either verse 3 or verse 4. Justification empowers us to find happiness in our suffering, to find meaning in our suffering. Wow. How does that work? How does that work? Confidence in an expanding future that you will participate in pours strength, back into the daily struggle like a boomerang confidence in an expanding future pours hope back into your daily struggle here's a couple of analogies I had to rewrite this one after last night but have you ever rewatched a favorite sporting event where the outcome hung in suspension until the last play and your team won Okay. You ever rewatched something like that? And you know what the outcome is? Tell me, how does your heart rate real- compare to when you watched the first time in real time and when you rewatched the second time? And you knew your team was going to win. You knew the outcome already. I'm going to bet your blood pressure was a lot lower. Here's a second way of thinking about it. For those of you who have been married, do you recall the way you perceived your struggles in the months and the weeks prior to your wedding day? With so much focus and so much excitement on that day, do you remember how light and momentary your troubles seemed? Right? You see, hope resets our difficulties and our challenges. Hope is a powerful and big part of our happiness. So what do you see in the vision of your life? And how much is God a part of it? Justification and the hope accompanying it give to us resilience in the face of our suffering. That produces character. And God pours steel into our soul through our difficulties. We, God gives us a structural integrity that holds us together when the storms hit. And that character guides us to a place where our hope is in the person who will never disappoint us. The person who will not undo us. The person who will not lead us into shame. To hope in God, here's another way of thinking about it. To hope in God is to find God as your ultimate treasure. This is what suffering does. Suffering leads us to a place where we begin to make God our primary and sole treasure. We all know Christians who seem unconquerable no matter how much misery or suffering or trial. It only seems to strengthen their faith and their confidence in the future. And I could point to many of you in this room who have gone through what it feels like disproportionate or untold misery. And yet here you are. You are not conquered. But those difficulties, those trials, those challenges have only made you stronger. I can tell just one story after another. Many of you are, are going through it right now. But suffering shapes our character. In light of the current candidates that we have in this election cycle, speaking of how suffering produces character, it makes me wistful to think of Abraham Lincoln and how suffering shaped him. You know, a scan through his statements reveals a man who underwent some very dark days, yet did not give up what he dreamed for. And though this is a different hope than what I'm describing this morning, we can still learn from his example and how suffering shaped his character. In 1862, at the outset of the war, when things looked like it could be over fairly quickly, Lincoln said, I expect to maintain this contest until successful, or till I die, or till I am conquered. But only a few months later, after defeat at Fredericksburg, Lincoln began this journey where he lived in near constant faith-shaking distress and despair. He said this, if there was a worse place than hell, I am in it. And then in 1864, after the defeat at Chancellorsville, he said, this war is eating my life out. I have a strong impression that I shall not live to see the end. And then, of course, we know the story, in in the darkness, a flicker of hope burst into flame. Union victories began to turn the tide in less than two weeks before his death. Lincoln rejoiced at the end of his trial, as we will when we see Jesus, and he said this, Thank God I have lived to see this. It seems to me that I have been dreaming for four years, and now the nightmare is gone. It's a great example of how suffering produces character. But let's go back to our original definition of hope and go back to the scriptures. And let's look at another Abraham and his example. Because Paul is thinking about another Abraham. So look up at just a chapter ahead of chapter 5 and look at chapter 4 beginning in verse 18. Paul is describing, as he thought about this topic of justification, he thought about the living illustration of Abraham, the the father of the Jews. In verse 18, he describes Abraham's predicament. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Abraham and Sarah experienced something that some of you have experienced. So painful. It's painful back then. It's painful today. It's a loss of a dream. It's a suffering. It's The pain of infertility. Now, in the ancient world, it took on uh, uh, even a different dimension because unlike our culture where success is wrapped up around individual accomplishment, in the ancient world, success was wrapped around family accomplishment and your family uh, and descendants living on into the next generation. And Abraham had been promised a son and promised Many, many descendants. But here he is now, 100 years old, and nothing, nothing, nothing has materialized. Where is God and where is this promise that was given to me? Year after year, pregnancy test after pregnancy test, disappointment after disappointment, prayer after prayer, Sarah did not become pregnant, and now she is way past her natural capacity to give birth. And yet every human circumstance is exhausted. Abraham did not forget God's promise, but clung to it all the more, even through some of his mistakes. You see, his vision of the future afforded him resilience today. And he maintained a positive, optimistic view because of it. The waiting allowed God to shape His character literally pouring, or not literally, figuratively, pouring steel into his soul. Now it's vital to see here that character is not only horizontal this way. What we manifest to others. Good character begins vertically with a recognition of my shortcomings and a radical dependence on God. That is good character. The character of Abraham... His dependence on God caused him to put his hope in God, to make God his treasure. He was confident that God would keep his promise. He was confident of a God-centered future. And so relating this now to you and me, Abraham's example, the promise of a growing, expanding future of life with God and one another without the disruption of sin, illness, or loss is a promise that we should become more and more convinced of. A promise through which we view the prism. A promise through which we view the prism of lost opportunities, regrets, failures, And conversations are actions that we wish we could get back. Friends, the glory of heaven will not largely be what we did for God, but rather what God did for us in Christ. Heaven will not reveal our greatness, but His. Now we will be His magnus opus, proving to every physical and spiritual entity the prevailing power of his love and the glory of his grace and your lost opportunities and your regrets and failures they will be evidence proving how powerful his grace and his love is though though they will be long gone now the final benefit of justification hope peace Finding meaning in our suffering. The final benefit of justification is found in verse 5. He pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The declaration of us being righteous is not only a judicial act. Because in this case, the judge not only declares us not guilty, but he also comes down and he embraces us as his son our daughter. This is a love that we not only know here, but it permeates and fills our entire being. The Holy Spirit empowers us to receive His love. And so we have moments where we sense His love. It fills us. It satisfies us. It is not merely a course of study. It is our experience. We are empowered thus to love others and most importantly, to love God with a whole heart and a free heart. And that is the very pinnacle of human freedom. Again, the future reverberates back into the present like a boomerang. You know, there is some research that suggests that we are hardwired for optimism. Optimism. One study found that private optimism about our personal future remains incredibly resilient. Here's a little uh, evidence they give to cite that. While 70% of families think in general they're less successful than their parents' day, 76% of respondents were optimistic about their own future and their own family. See the difference? They look out and generally say, No, nobody's going to really succeed, but I will. (laughs) The author is arguing that we're hardwired for optimism. And this is why, this is why we find ourselves looking for a reason for suffering, looking for that silver lining, the point we previously made. We look for a silver lining to try to make sense of it. Even secular research reveals that people who find meaning in their adversity are ultimately healthier in the long run than those who do not. Now, as Christians, we have a solid reason in order to do that and to find that. Some of you maybe remember the Oscar-nominated movie called Silver Linings Playbook. It features a man who's... Coming back from an eight-month stint at a psychiatric hospital, he's being treated for bipolar disorder. He was sent there because he beat to death, nearly beat to death, his wife's estranged, his estranged wife's lover. And so he now has lost virtually everything, his job, his family, uh, his wife, or his house, job, house, and wife. And he's home from the hospital in his parents' charge, and he's, he's starting to read, and he's trying to improve himself. But in one of the most famous scenes from the movie, he bursts into his parents' bedroom at 4 o'clock in the morning. And he's been reading the book all quiet on the western front. Not really a great book to read if you're struggling with depression, if you know the book. He gets to the end of the novel, discovers it ends grimly with death, slams the book shut, throws it through a glass window, and storms into their room at 4 o'clock saying... This, you know, the whole time you're rooting for this Hemingway guy to survive the war and be with the woman he loves, Catherine Barclay. And he does, he does, he survives the war after getting blown up. He survives it and escapes to Switzerland with Catherine. You think he ends it there? No, she dies, Dad. I mean, the world's hard enough as it is, guys. Can't someone say, hey, let's be positive. Let's have a good ending to the story. What is it about us? What is it about us that rebels against stories, wherever we find them, that don't end well? You see, I agree with the research that we are hardwired for optimism. What I don't agree with is that it, come, it came from evolution. Evolution. I believe it is a part of the way that God has created us. That we are oriented towards the future. I believe it is placed there by God. The Bible says that eternity exists in the heart of men and women. That's why death seems out of place in our world. Like a bad joke told at the wrong time. Death doesn't seem to fit. It's because God has put eternity into our hearts. And I believe that there is something remaining in the human consciousness that remembers, in a sense, the garden and the perfection that was experienced there and the longing to return to it. And therefore, human beings, look for a silver lining to find meaning in their suffering and their losses, and they look for the keys to redeem them. And while God may not give you and me specifics on this side of eternity, we do see the larger purpose of suffering outlined right here in Romans chapter 5. And it says to us from a megaphone, your suffering is never without a purpose. Never Never without a purpose. Suffering produces endurance and resilience. Endurance produces character. And character produces not just horizontal, but produces this way. Character produces hope. We learn to treasure and put our hope in God himself. Nick, you guys can work your way up as I close here. The band. Your suffering, what you go through, what you endure is preparing you for eternity and is preparing you for life with God. They are helping you see how rich a treasure you have. God is the hope. God is the hope that will never disappoint. Hope is the confident expectation of a God-centered future not a shrinking future, but a growing future like an ever expanding universe. In Isaiah chapter 43, in God describing a new era of Israel's history, he said this, verses 18 and 19. Put that up there. There we go, Scotty. We'll close on this, or we'll, we'll close the sermon portion here on this verse. We'll leave it with you. And then we'll have a chance to sing together, to rejoice together, to pray together, to give together to the kingdom of God. But this is what God is saying and addressing to us this morning, just as He addressed the people of Israel in that time. So He addresses you and me this morning. Remember not the former things, not consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it brings forth. Do you not? Perceive it, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these amazing words and thank you for the confident expectation that we can have. Father, I just think of my friends here and knowing the various things that they face on a daily basis, various difficulties and challenges, busted dreams and disappointments. Father, I pray that this morning you would speak to them, that you would renew them in this hope and that you would renew our hope in you as a body and revive us as a body That God, you might use us powerfully in this community. That we would be men and women who radiate hope in such cynical, skeptical times. That Father, we'd be a people of hope, a people who reflect that our treasure is in God, in the one that will never disappoint, the one that will never bring to shame. God, help bring that renewal. Help bring that revival to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, let us be open to you in new ways. Let us give more of ourselves to you. Father, some of us have been holding back from you. Some of us have been clinging on to these dreams that are shrinking, not growing larger. Father, help us to hold on to you. To see a future that's expanding like the universe. To anticipate the glory of God. Seeing you. And your incomparable grace. Age upon age upon age. And recognizing that we will share. Somehow we. Sinful men and women by grace will share in that glory. Glory. As we sing, bring us to a place of adoration and worship. As we give, let us give joyfully and generously to the kingdom of God. And as we pray, Father, let it be a faith that's sincere, coming from a good conscience and a pure heart. Continue to lead us in worship. Continue to cause us to minister to one another through Jesus and his atoning sacrifice. Amen.